where you work from these days. Take Gresh and Fourier with you on the Odyssey app. Favorite WEI. Earlier in his career, Drew was a very good quarterback, at times great, but he got hit. He goes, Scott, come in here. And he was watching film. He goes, this is it. This is what we've been talking about. And he goes, Drew, he looks like a wildebeest under attack. We knew that we had a problem. And with Tom, he was the guy that we thought and truly believed was the answer. Happy President's Day to you. It's KJ and Lions in for Gresham. Why do I I say that? Gresham Fourier here on WEEI. 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. The dynasty on Apple TV is what everybody's talking about, John, and that's Scott Pioli. Talking about what I call the critical point and the decision to go away from Drew Bledsoe and to Tom Brady. I thought what Ernie Annas was saying about the wildebeest comment was probably the most poignant comment so far in these first two episodes of the Dynasty. Yeah, I would agree, KJ. Great to be uh, back on with you here. It's been a couple weeks. But that decision, right, to stick with Brady over Bledsoe, especially once, obviously, Bledsoe became healthy, and then again, which I know is coming when they go to Super Bowl Thirty Six, you could make the case, KJ, that is the most consequential decision in the history of the NFL, maybe in all of sports, because if you don't stick with Brady... Who knows? Maybe they win a Super Bowl with Bledsoe at some point. I don't know, but they're not going to win six and be the greatest dynasty ever. Belichick and Brady aren't going to go down as the greatest of all time at their respective positions. So that was a massive decision. And KJ, you know this well, as do I. Not an easy decision back in 2001. No, actually it was. Well, what I mean is publicly in perception because Bledsoe was coming back from an injury. He had been the guy. Robert Kraft, and this was a quote that stood out to me, was Robert Kraft talked in that episode about how he wanted it to be Drew and he felt like, you know, Drew, it wasn't right what happened to Drew, but he wasn't going to interfere. But he said that when he was talking with Bill and, and the consensus was, well, it needs to be right, right? So Bill, like, hey, you can do this, but you better get it right. So I think there was some, maybe not direct pressure from ownership, but you knew ownership loved blood. So the fan base was very split. And I know their job is not to pay attention to the fan base, but given that they had, you know, I don't want to say messed up the Bernie Kosar decision in Cleveland because it was the right decision. Maybe they didn't handle it well and ended up getting fired and the Browns moved away. Doing this eight years later, not an easy thing to do and stick with, I don't think, at least publicly. And they did it, and it ended up being the most consequential decision in the history of the NFL. Let's go back to what was really happening with Drew Bledsoe at that time. Sure, Drew Bledsoe was a shook quarterback who had the yips. Sacks after sacks after sacks after sacks. However, would be willing to throw it 43 times a game. So, and and I brought this up Saturday, John. What is the least amount, and free doesn't count, that you've ever paid for Patriots official gear? Do you just, it doesn't have to be like Uh, seven for you Probably 20 bucks, maybe? 25? Yeah, Yeah, in 2000, that stuff was going for clearance during the season for $5. My girlfriend worked at the Braintree JCPenney and was bringing the stuff home by the boatloads because the team was that 
checked out on the offensive side of the ball. Now, what Belichick, and this is why I don't like this whole Brady versus Belichick argument, because you have to go back before everything took off. And it was only one year. Keep in mind, only 5-11 and 11 that one year. Everything else becomes this thing called the dynasty. But in that 5-11 and 11 year, what Parcell, I'm sorry, what Belichick brought was what he did under Parcells. He had a better defensive secondary than he did with the Giants. Didn't have his quality of a linebacking core with the Patriots that he did with the Giants, but you're really talking about maybe the only difference is Lawrence Taylor. And playing a 3-4, he had a very decisive and, and precise off defensive line. So he was rebuilding what he had with the Giants defensively. That's why when you look at year 2000 into 2001, there's a huge increase in the defense, and it was easy to go away from from Drew because it was like, okay, the defense is good. I can get rid of this guy who shook. I t- I still take my hat off to Belichick for saying, hey, Kraft, I know you're paying this guy $103 million over his over his contract. He's he's not the guy. He's got the yips. And coming off of that injury, you can only expect him to have the yips even more. So back then, at that time, the Patriots were an afterthought. Going down to the game was kind of optional. I told the story that I'd go to a D'Angelo. I was living in Hyde Park. I went to the D'Angelo sub shop in the halftime of the Minnesota game. And I'm thinking, like, I'm not going to make it back for kickoff, but everybody's in the shop could care less about the game. It would change dramatically in a year. So at that time, it wasn't a surprise. How many quarterbacks does Belichick usually carry on his team as the years go on? Usually two. He had four then. Yep. That should tell you everything. Yeah, and I so, think another piece of this, KJ, that really stood out to me is, or there's really two, but Belichick said that Tom had been more accomplished in their offense. And you think about it, Drew Bledsoe had run their offense all of 2000, the offseason afterwards, the training camp of 2001, and the first two games, yet Brady within, what, six or seven weeks, Belichick already felt he was a better fit in their offense, and that was one of the reasons they stuck with him. And another thing is the quote we played at the beginning of the segment, KJ. Scott Piola, I think there's a subtle little hint. He said Drew had always been very good and sometimes great. He didn't say Drew was a great quarterback. He didn't say Drew was an elite player. He basically said, yeah, the guy was good and sometimes great. So I think they went in in 2000 and definitely into 2001 not that high on him to begin with pre-injury. And you made the point about him being shook. I think that was a big part of it. And I think, again, I think it was a hard decision to stick with publicly and make. But to your point, the actual decision itself, I think they had no qualms about doing it. Tom was, at that point in time, the most accomplished in running our offense. Yeah, think about that. That's six weeks, essentially, into Tom Brady playing, whereas Bloodso had done it for a little over a year. But you know why they could get away with it? Do you know what the narrative was at the time in terms of Boston sports in 2000? How fast can Rick Pitino get out of here? Right? So you had cover. The Patriots had cover. If changing from Drew Bledsoe wasn't going to, it was going to be a story, but it still wasn't the story. Remember, Paul Pierce, I think, would end up getting stabbed that season as well. And Red Sox-Yankees played in the ALCS the year before, I think. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Right. So the real angst of change around here was about Patino stinking this up, trying to get us to believe, stop taking all the other guys not named Antoine Walker from Kentucky and bringing them here and trying to compete in the NBA. There was a real frustration with that. There was more energy towards that than, say, a quarterback change 
where Bledsoe was kind of like, look, Bledsoe was a nice guy, very affable, very surrounded in the community, but no one was saying this guy's going to take us to the promised land. It was just kind of like, hey, let's go see what the team, I guess, can kind of do and sit on these metal benches. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and and I think was. one piece of this, too, and this was the only thing so far in the series that I have a, a bit of a qualm about is that St. Louis Rams game in the middle of the season that the Patriots lost 24 17. I know Brady threw a couple picks in that game and deserved criticism, but to me, the the key play in that game, Antoine Smith fumbled on like the goal line, so that changed that entire game. And I walked away from that game, and I wonder if you did too, thinking, "Wow, the Patriots can hang with the best team in the NFL. That, they just clean this up. I'll tell you this. Yeah, they just clean this up. They can beat them. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I was young. It, it, I was very. I was very young at the time. I had no. I had no knowledge, and this was basically what? my first introduction to that game. And the way that it was filmed and put together, you would have thought, oh, it was a blowout. It was like 45-7. to seven. But no, you go to the final score shot, it says 24-17. That's totally different from what was portrayed in the docuseries. That walks right into my narrative about the defense that Bill had built. Yeah, Terrell Buckley that had game, a pick six that in that game. That game was by the way. still in the balance because the defense had held at key moments, especially giving up key field position on Brady's turnovers, right? So... Yeah, that's part of the narrative and storytelling. And at 10, 1220, we'll talk to Matthew Hamachek. Uh, I've got a question for him. I know, John, it's like Christmas Day for you talking to him. That's coming here in about in a couple of hours. He'll be here. But that was that told me at that time, I said, you know what? With everything that had gone wrong in that game, the game was still in the balance for the Patriots to at least tie or potentially win, say, in overtime. So that's why I think Brady was kept in there because – when when everything seemed to fail, the game didn't get out of the balance. Now, let's fast forward all that tape when we get out of the dynasty and what we saw the last couple of years where you felt like, despite all the mistakes that were happening, the Patriots had no chance to win. And that's the big chasm and difference between these first two episodes that we're watching about what was going on 2000-2001 and how kind of things ended for Bill, where it was kind of like, look, once this guy makes two mistakes, how do we come back from it? Even with the pretty still strong defense. So, again, this early part of the dynasty, and I'm glad it's available for people who don't use Google and go look back. Everything was predicated based on the defense that Belichick put together to keep that team in games when mistakes were happening on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think, again, they like, I walked away from that Rams game in the middle of the year thinking, wow, they can hang with the best team in the NFL. And part of it, like I said, Terrell Buckley had a pick six in that game. But also, even though the Patriots made some mistakes in that game, I thought, wow, they won't make these mistakes consistently. And I think they can recover from a mistake or two, which, by the way, and I know we haven't got to this yet in the Dynasty series, in Super Bowl 36, they do. Don't, don't, no, don't give it away. No, but just in the Super Right, remember Willie McGinnis holding penalty leads to a Rams touchdown? They end up winning the game anyway. So, like, that's the way I walked away from that feeling. And I think, like, for Belichick and for the Patriots, if anything, I feel like that game would confirm their decision was the right one because, hey, we hung right with the Rams. Our young quarterback made a couple mistakes. Antoine Smith fumbled on the two-yard line. The Rams ended up scoring a touchdown after. If we just clean up those mistakes, we can beat any team in the league, whereas I don't know if that feeling was there with Bledsoe. Not that they couldn't be good, but I feel like the the feeling with Brady and that defense and what they had, that they could beat anybody in the league if they played pretty well whereas I don't think I mean let's not forget too week one of 2001 they went to Cincinnati played a bad Bengals team and lost 
right? Fully healthy with Bledsoe at QB. And I then think, I think this is when Corey Dillon was actually in his active sit out too at that time as well. You could be right. Yeah, I don't recall. You could be yeah. right. Yeah. So and, it was like, and even Corey that Dillon Jets game, early, yeah. Bledsoe got hurt. I mean, Bledsoe played most of that game, and they scored three points. Well, but back to that so, St. Louis game, if you remember what the narrative was for that season, if those who remember, is that the Rams were the greatest show on They turf. were going to be the dynasty. They had won two years before, right? So here's the thing. The game is on grass, and this is why, you know, as you would, as you mentioned, once you get to the Super Bowl next year, you say, hey, you know what? Either get them in a neutral site or get them in grass. The, uh, the, the, the Patriots can compete. Right, and that's what and that's what I took away from that Rams game. I you almost forget the mistakes that Brady made in that game. Only be now, I do remember the thought thinking. The thinking at the time was like, "Oh man, maybe maybe the rose is off of this. You know, maybe the bloom is off of this rose." And it was a, it's a fun one, but I you know I don't know. I could see why they would have gone back to Drew, but it would have been more financial than it was competitive. And that's why I have to say, look, Belichick convinced his owner to not pay the guy that you're paying $100 million to. And think about how think about how $10 million over 10 years, does that sound so cheap now? Like, yeah, but back then it was a huge and, deal. Back right? then like, it was that, a huge that deal. That was massive. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. Like, And I also liked that the episode highlighted that Chargers game that the Patriots came back to win in overtime. Shout out to WEI's Jermaine Wiggins for a huge tying touchdown catch in that game. But I think that also... You don't have to play Kate to your co That was... Well, I am technically <laughs> sitting in his chair right now. But that was the first time, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, that you looked at Brady and said, oh, we might have something here. Right? Because they had beaten the Colts a couple weeks before, but they had two pick sixes in that game. They shut the Colts down. Then they went to Miami, lost a 30-10 to 10 or 31-10. to 10. So you still weren't totally sure. And then that Chargers game, oh, we might have something here. And then they hang with the Rams a month after that. You're like, okay, we might really have some there. And then they continue winning for the rest of the regular season. KJ and Lions in for Gresham Fourier, 617-779-7937, text line 37937. I'd love to hear if someone thinks that Bledsoe was still the answer when they made that decision at that time because I thought they would have come off of Bledsoe anyway and they and the, the injury from Mo Lewis was just a, just a way to walk through that door. It's time to trend right now with Joe Braverman. Drew was cleared medically and Bill didn't put him back I didn't feel good about it and I felt that Drew was treated unfairly people who have been loyal to us are like family and Drew really was like a fifth son to my dad and I watched him agonize over this whole thing with Drew My dad could only imagine how that was eating Drew up inside, and he had so much personal affection for him, it made it doubly difficult. Drew came to see me, and we had a long chat, and I said, I'm going to talk with Bill. KJ and Lions in for Gresham Fourier here on WEEI. Happy President's Day to you. That song might remind you that George Washington might not have lied about chopping down the cherry tree, but other trees... Still to come, that might be something different. Look, that's Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft saying that it was going to be really hard to move off of Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, let's go back to that 5-11 and season, John, in game one against Tampa, six sacks. Jets, six sacks. Minnesota, three sacks. Dolphins, two. Broncos, three. Colts, three. Jets get seven. Four against the... I mean, just on his back. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because in the 2000 season... 
Bledsoe took 48 sacks. The next time a Patriots quarterback took 48 sacks was until Matt Castle in 2008, first year starting. And then right. the next time a Patriots quarterback took 48 sacks was 2023. With uh, And we know how bad it was with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi here. So that number 48 kind of pops up in three, like the Bledsoe season in 2000 when they were terrible, 2008 when they were good, but they had a first-year starter who hadn't played since high school at Matt Castle, and then, of course, 2023 when they were terrible. So I think that kind of says a lot in itself and let's not forget most of the offensive line in 2001 was the same in 2000 there wasn't a massive difference only four games did Bledsoe pass have less than 30 attempts in the game yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say it, Drew Bledsoe knew that was his team and he would show it by consistently trying to get those yards because you remember maybe his second or third year in the league he led the league in passing yards but he also had something like 27 interceptions. So they just they had to bring Drew down even from that. But still, and they even mentioned it in the documentary, is that it was Drew's team. And I would say it was more so because of time spent there than it was like, hey, you're leading this team into something forward momentum. It was not happening. And I would say I understand why the crafts would say why they're saying now. But that I think that was an easy conversation to say, if you want this thing to move forward, you have to do something now. Yeah, and another thing, like you mentioned the 27 interceptions. I mean, what's one thing that Belichick and at the time Charlie Weiss really didn't want was for their quarterback to turn the ball over. I mean, in 2001, you have a good running game. You have decent wide receivers, right? Troy Brown had 101 catches that year, but he's not a star. Decent, David Pad's decent. And you have a great defense. Like, you don't just don't turn the ball over. And then in 2000, ironically, Bledsoe only had... 13 interceptions that year, but he only threw 17 touchdowns. So his interception numbers were down, but his touchdown numbers are way down in 2000 as well. I still go back to my girlfriend at the time. I mean, she's not my wife now. Just bringing back all this discount. Can you imagine discounted Patriots apparel in season? I bet that was really cool stuff, too, because that was like that late 90s, early 2000s. You know, I bet I bet I wish you had some now, KJ, because that would be some cool retro Patriot stuff to One, have. The, the last shirt died maybe five years ago, and it had its schedule for that 2000 season where they went 5-11. and 11. I, Now, I have a picture of my young, my daughter who was young at the time with me you know, holding her and having that shirt. But gosh, you turn that shirt around, it's like loss, 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 oh, uh, loss, yeah. loss. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, oh. it, it, so it, that's the thing that's fascinating about what this dynasty on Apple TV, I think, is really doing. It's quelling, it, it should, this is what it should do. It should slow down those running to the Brady versus Belichick argument. And I think the reason why so many people are having it is due to recency bias, sure. right? What is what is a what is a Tom Brady 18 years after learning from Belichick and being on the system, greatest quarterback of all time? What is Belichick after having Brady for those 18 years and still be able to maintain top-level defenses? That sometimes would slip, but still having top-level defense you have potentially the greatest coach of all time. So we're not talking about them being at greatest of all time status yet. It's almost kind of like what what Robert Kraft took a chance on with Belichick is not too far off than what Belichick took on the chance with Tom Brady. Yeah, and I love that in the first two episodes, both Belichick and Brady talked about how much like the other person meant to them. Like Belichick said that you know he would not have been as good a coach if he wasn't coaching Tom Brady because how well Brady was prepared. And Brady talked about how 
he would not have been the player that he came to be without Belichick. Because I think you're right. That's really true. And, and this is, if you want to see the future, KJ, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. About six or seven weeks from now, the last couple parts are going to air, and it's going to talk about Brady leaving. And people are going to go right back to Brady and Belichick and the negative negativity between them at the end and make that the huge story. Whereas I think if you really look at the majority of the 20-year run, it's a lot closer to what we've seen in these first two episodes than what we'll see in the last one. But you know how it's going to go, obviously. People will latch on to that. But I think what we've seen in these first two is much closer to what it was the entire time rather than what we're going to see in the... Which I'm not saying the last one isn't factually accurate. It's just I think the whole 20-year run is much closer to the first two than the last one we'll see. Now, in a just to months. be clear, John, you have not gotten a pre-screening of the whole docu series. No, like I feel everyone like on the everyone show. that works at EEI has gotten a pre-screening except me, KJ, and Adam Jones. And I so haven't. Like, and, and Joe Brady. Right now, <laughs> like I feel like everyone else but, is like, "Oh, I've seen it all. It's great." I'm like, but, "Man, come but on!" But you man. know what? I want to wait because I remember seeing all of this. Like, it, put you it, to put it in, in, in a moment in time. Shortly after that Minnesota game that I told you I was watching in September of 2000, I took a job in Kansas City. And one of the very first contests we gave away, I have never forget this, was tickets for a person in Kansas City and their guests to fly to Boston, hang out in Boston, and they had tickets to the Chiefs uh, game, which ironically the Patriots won. And so when I the, the station I was working at here in Boston, WILD, the, the tip-off that I was leaving was that I'd come back wearing a Tony Gonzalez jersey. It was kind of like, I'm kind of letting you know I'm taking another job somewhere else. Yeah. So it was it was to the point where... Hey, it wasn't a big deal. We're, we're sending you to go see the Patriots play. It I'm wasn't surprised like, hey. anybody called in to try to win those. Right, right. It was you know like we're we're gonna fly you to see a meddling Kansas City Chiefs team play an uh, underdeveloped and underwhelmed Patriots team. Now, fast forward twenty four years later, my goodness, I, you know what people would probably offer me off air just to get those tickets? Well, well, not right now, but if you're saying well, even this past year, I mean, Chiefs Patriots with the Patriots being bad, it got bumped from Monday Night Football, right? But with, with and the part of this is the Taylor Swift factor. There was still a decent amount of buzz around that game. Yeah, like it, it, that's, it was, and the time, foundation was set twenty years ago. It was a time where the where, where the Patriots just were not top of mind in terms of entertainment. Now, keep in mind. We would only be what we're not two, maybe a couple of years within the realm of Bob Kraft actually moving the team to Connecticut. Yep. So there were things that were still to happen. I'm not trying to get ahead, but to put it in perspective, like where the first major drama comes with the team is around Christian Peter. Christian Peter and I grew up together. So that becomes the okay, how do things happen? I, I, those are things that I would like to see if they are addressed because that was the first thing about like, okay. This Patriot Way, we have now identified the first person who doesn't fit into it, but Patriot Way would then become such a staple of a term. But if you go back to, well, now we're going to 96, back in 96, where it was kind of like, okay, this guy doesn't fit, and this is how we're going to build the culture moving forward because it was that riff with Parcel. So it's it's a little bit of prequel stuff here that I'm discussing. Yeah, but I, I like that they cool. did that though. That they went back to like when Bloodsoe got drafted and kind of talked right. through. Like I think that was like the and the last dance did that with Michael Jordan. I think that adds great context because when you look at where they were at in 2001 when Belichick made this decision, they had gone to the Super Bowl in '96, but then '97, '98, '99 they had been a kind of middle of the pack type team i think they went eight and eight in 1999 if i'm not mistaken their last actually their last win of the season was my first ever patriots game they beat the ravens 20 to 3 fun fact but 
They were a middling team, and then in 2000, they were flat-out bad. And their top draft pick in 2001 at sixth overall was Richard Seymour, who I love him, and he's a Hall of Famer, but that's not the same level of buzz if they had taken a quarterback top 10, right? So there wasn't a lot of interest in the Patriots. They were looked at as, a, as you said, an underwhelming team, an underwhelming franchise playing in a dump of a stadium. And then this decision, I think, catapulted them forward, not just to being the dynasty, but to getting into the national conversation and to being a great team once again, which they really hadn't been since 1996. Well, it felt like it was the team that was giving its best to the Jets, especially after Curtis Martin left. When Curtis Martin yeah. left, you're kind of like, oh, oh boy, what, what happens next? You know, like, because you're like, okay, Parcells can go. In fact, Parcells, you know, is already kind of out the door when they lose the Super Bowl to the Packers. And then Curtis Martin kind of tips away and leaves shortly after. You're like, oh, gosh, what's going on? And then the Jets get on to this run. And then you, you're looking kind of like at Pete Carroll. You're kind of like, all right, you're clearly the response to a, a big breakup, right? And so there's there's a part of you that feels for Pete Carroll, but at the same time you're like, you know what? But Pete Carroll was just with the Jets. like. And so then when Belichick takes the job, what does he do? He reneges on his job with the Jets to come here. So it, it seemed like the Jets were in the middle of everything going on at that time in terms of, if something bad was happening, it was something good for the Jets. If something good was happening, uh, it's just gone to the Jets and Curtis Martin. So with Belichick choosing the Patriots instead of staying with the Jets at that time is a big part of the story. And maybe they go back to it. I, I don't know because they did mention his, his stay in Cleveland. I almost kind of forgot about the Philpox guy. I, I, I totally forgot about that guy. But I remember and thinking watching back to the Dynasty without giving up too much of it on Apple TV. It's a great watch is that potentially that move to bench Kozar was the final straw that got Cleveland and Art Modell to move the Browns to Baltimore. Yeah, and I believe that Cleveland team, the year they moved, started out the season like 4-2. and two, It might even been like 6-3 and three or 6-2 and two or something. Like, they started out good, and then they lost pretty much every game the second half of the season after it was announced they were going to move. And, right. and you're right, the Kosar thing, I think... You know, I don't. I'm not saying it was the whole impetus for them to move, but it was just another thing, kind of pushing them in that direction. That's why I go back to this decision of Belichick, and if you want to include Pioli in this decision and the whole staff, they had been through a really negative reaction and negative outcome the last time they had benched a fan favorite quarterback, and this one wasn't even. And of course, I know Kosar they released. This one wasn't just a benching or release. Bledsoe had a life threatening injury. Right. And then he comes back. Like, I just think that's why, even though we can look at it like objectively and logically and say, yeah, Brady was playing better, the team was playing better, still a difficult thing, I think, with all the other pressures weighed to do. And like Robert Kraft said in that clip, right? Like, you know, I, I, I'll go talk to Bill. I mean, he could have easily said, hey, Bill, start Drew. And to his credit, he didn't. But also to Bill's credit, he was right. Because if Bill's wrong, he probably doesn't coach after the 2001 season in New England. Like if he, if Brady ends up being bad and they miss the playoffs or they get blown out by the Raiders in the snowball, that might have been the end of Belichick in New England. And instead he was right, and that's why, you know, obviously, look, we know the history. He's there another 20 years. But I think that decision was just so, so important. And for him to stick to it, I think, is probably the greatest move in his career, and it really launched the dynasty itself. Well, in fairness to Belichick, I, I would say that I don't think, and I, I don't recall Drew Bledsoe being so beloved in the New England fan base the way that Bernie Kozar was with the Cleveland fan base. And right? that's like, fair, yeah. 
And so for Belichick, as you would see in the series without giving it away, it would almost be the equivalent of benching Tom Brady. Now, I'm not comparing them on levels. I'm talking about in terms of emotional attachment that the fan base has to their quarterback. What he did was pretty much bench Cleveland's Tom Brady. Okay, And and so if he did something like that here, and maybe that's why some people felt the way they did about not making all-out efforts to keep Tom, but what did Tom just reveal a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago? I was going to leave anyway. And that's the thing that I've always been trying to intimate to people. Like, I don't think so much of it that Belichick pushed Tom out the door. I think Tom was going to leave anyway. I think it was just one of those, like, you know, I've been in this 20-year marriage. I've sacrificed some things. You know, I'm tired of getting the television set every year for an anniversary gift for the most part in terms of money. I want to see what it's like to be courted and have somebody buy me a drink at the bar. And that's what he went and did. But it would be very hard for the fan base to turn their ire at Tom for making a Tom decision. So they just made it easy to point at Belichick, similar to what happened to him with Kozar, which was the right decision at the time. Kozar couldn't even move left. You ever play with a video game joystick and it just gets stuck in one of the yeah. diagonal? That's how Kozar moved. You felt like you're like, you're like slamming the joystick. The dude could not move. So, you know, what Belichick did in Cleveland was the right choice. What he did here with Tom Brady was not really his choice. Well, I I disagree with you on that, but I think what, I that can't Tom wait. Didn't have the choice to leave in his own. No, no, no. Doing? I think that Belichick played a large role in pushing Brady out the door when it was ultimately Tom's decision to leave. Like he could have stayed. I think it's kind of a little bit of both in there. I, I do put it more on Bill than I do. On Brady, but, but see, I think that's easy to do when but Tom think, had the choice. It would be yeah, totally but they also different. had the choice to pay him in 2016, 2017, and twenty eighteen, and they didn't. And but Bill stayed, had the choice. But did he stay and, during those times? But that's why he ultimately left. Okay, and he had so to. They, like if they contract. had given him a real right. extension, what, he would have stayed. Brain, and also, you demand anything you want. Also, at that I think the reason Belichick was able to survive four years past Brady, as long as he did, as part of it is, look, they made the playoffs in 2021, obviously, but because he had that six Super Bowl cachet built up, whereas in 2001, he didn't have that cachet built up. Like, he had won two Super Bowls as the D.C. with the Giants, but he didn't have this, yeah, hey, I've won multiple Super Bowls as a head coach cachet built up, and I think that's another piece of this where a lot of fans are looking at it as, hey, Bledsoe at least got us to a Super Bowl, Belichick's never been to a Super Bowl as a head coach. He got fired in Cleveland. Now he's benching him. And and look, I was a person, I liked Brady, and I know that's easy to say in hindsight. I liked Brady, and I was glad they stuck with him. But I think there were a lot of fans that were Bledsoe people because they looked at, hey, we were the worst team know. in the Yeah, th- we were the right. worst team in the NFL in the early 90s. They draft this guy, we get to a Super Bowl. Now this new coach comes in who's you know never been to a Super Bowl as a head coach and benches him and he's coming off an injury and still won't give him really a real chance to earn that job back. And I think that's the, a lot of the Bledsoe people, that's where that came from. Another thing I found really interesting KJ and I, I think this was a really under the radar moment in the whole series so far is that infamous Bledsoe press availability when he was like, next question, next question. I look forward to the opportunity to earn my job. Brady was sitting at the locker next to him for that. Well, usually How awkward kind of is that? Up, I mean, right? but that's something that like, that was an explosive press availability. And Brady was too, and that's something, honestly, that's me. And look, I'm Mr. Patriots, right? You know that. I got my hat on right now. I never knew that. 
Right, like you paid I, much for more yeah. than now than in yeah, like yeah, I could have got it for you for five bucks. Yeah, I know. I appreciate. Uh, hey, I take <laughs> one of those, you know, nineteen ninety nine hats. I bet they look cool. But but the point is that like that was a huge deal, and I think the relationship between them that could have gone really toxic. I give Bledsoe some credit for not making it toxic, and Brady handled it as well as you could. But that was another huge piece of this decision too, because you had players in the locker room that maybe they liked Tom, but the guys even said it. it in that interview, Ty Law, Teddy Bruschi, you know, and Laurie Malloy, they were like, yeah, okay. Like when they went out to dinner and Brady was like, I'm not giving this job up. And they're Don't like, give away the whole yeah. series. They're like, right? oh, like, sure. Right? Yeah, but that's my point. Up, like right? I think that all adds to the decision and all these elements to it. Well, the other side, I would say that proves my argument about what I was saying, that Bledsoe knew that it was his team and it was still a bad team. It wasn't that, hey, this team is going yeah. to get better. And and look, in fairness to Laurie Malloy and Ty Law, they're early in their career. What are they really going to say super out loud but to toe the line at that time? So they towed the line, but keep in mind, after going 5-11, and 11, you start the next season 0-2. Yeah. So it's almost like, all right, you have a whole new season to get better, and the way it's starting off, it looks like how it just ended. Look, we got to go to break. It's KJ and Lions in progression. 4A, 617-779-7937, text line 37937. Plus, we got the Lions Den coming up. Thanks so much for hanging out. KJ and Lions in for Gresham Fourier on WEEI. Good President's Day to you. 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. About three minutes away from the Lions then. Plus, we'll be talking about the Red Sox. Uh, look, this documentary is going to be hot considering some of the stuff that's coming in hot. And I don't even think they've thrown more than two two innings of of, of, of infield practice yet. It's it, That's coming in about 15 minutes. And, of course, the All-Star game. Uh, on what it was and what it wasn't, plus the weekend. We'll get to that here on WEEI. All right, Joe, what do you have on the text line? 37937. Let's take a look at what we got. A lot of uh, stuff about the dynasty. Here's one from a 774 texter. This is setting up to be a Belichick hit piece from his neck cracking to his outfit to the narrative starting to form. You can just see who the boss is in the editing room. (sighs) Here's the thing. I I think there's no way that it's a hit job at least for the first five. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think the part that's going to make him look bad is Brady leaving and then him, you know, them ultimately not being good afterwards. And this was filmed, I believe, in the spring of 2023, the interview with Belichick. So at that point, he was still the Patriots coach, but they were coming off their second losing season in three years. Brady had won a Super Bowl somewhere else. So I think that is probably where it's going to put him in a bad light. I hope, though it doesn't end up being a hit piece. And and we're going to talk to the director in, what, about an hour and a half or so, and, and maybe yeah, we'll get to that with him, Matt Hamachek. But, like, I, I think there's some fairness there and some facts about his role in it ending. I just – and I also wonder, KJ, too, and Jeff Benedict was on with Jones and Mego last week, kind of talked about this. How willing of a participant do we think Belichick was? Because when Belichick's been willing to participate in this stuff, I mean, he won an Emmy for that work with NFL Network with the top 100 players or, or whatever it was, and he's been really good in yeah, some but your NFL. Boss is not in the middle of all. Of right, he's been great in some NFL film stuff. Remember, I mean, he had the whole camera crew follow him around for a whole season for the football life. So when he's been willing, he's been great. I've kind of gotten the sense through the first two episodes that he did this reluctantly. And I appreciate that he did it. And I think his voice is obvious. You can't have this without Brady, Belichick, and Kraft. So you have to have his voice. But I do get the sense that he's maybe was reluctant to do this. And unfortunately, and you know this, KJ, 
if you don't speak for yourself, sometimes in instances like this, other people will speak for you. And sometimes that's good, like Scott Pioli and Ernie Adams, but there could be another side to that as well where he's put in a negative light when he doesn't speak for himself. Yeah, I, I think it might get uncomfortable once you get into the Spygate to Flategate. I think that's sure. where, and I, I, that's why I have a question for uh, for uh, for for Matthew when he when we talk to him at twelve twenty. So I'll save it for then. All right, another text three seven ninety three seven. What you got, Joe? This is one is going right to John on this one. This is from a six one seven. He needs to correct you, Lions. Yeah, I know. I already because Bledsoe was a clod hopper. I had no idea what that was, but <laughs> like I had to Google a stuck it. It's joystick, <laughs> foolish, awkward, or clumsy person. Are we allowed oh. to say that on the air? Yeah, sure. Clodhopper, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. Clodhopper in 2000 for sure, but that O-line was atrocious and completely overhauled in 2001. Yeah, so two of the five starters from 2000 to 2001 were the same. So he has a point. They only had two starters come over. But still, that 48 sack number, we've only seen that three times this century. Once with Bledsoe, once with Castle, and then with Mac Jones and Zappi. So while he is correct that I thought it was three of the five starters, only two of the five were but the you same. Know what, but it's still you know pretty what? bad. That's picking a hair out of salad, right? Like, if if you're having an asparagus yeah. salad, like, are we really searching for the and hair in he that? He probably had a better receiving, and I love David Patton. I think he's a stud. Terry Glenn at his peak in 2000, in, you know, 96 through 2000, was a better player than David Patton, too. So Right, that probably would be one of, like, even though Terry Glenn would shine probably a little more once he got to Dallas, he was probably the closest thing to a star receiver through yeah. those years, up until Moss got there. Yeah, right? he had like over 10. 900 yards in 2000. On a 5-11 and right. team, he had 963 yards. Bledsoe dropping back 46 times. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, one more on the text line, and then we'll get to Lions Den. All right, let's take a look here. Uh, oh, 401 texter right here. We, still, we probably still would have gotten close to a Super Bowl if Drew came back, they say. I, I don't know. I wonder if there was going to be a clash in terms of what Bill wanted to do overall and what Bledsoe thought he had to do, which was throw the ball, right? Because that's what that's how Bill was able to get to those early titles, was running the ball and strong defense. I don't know if Bledsoe would have been as happy to say, you know what, we're going to try and cut you back to probably throwing only 25 times a game. Yeah, and to that point, the first time to me, like Brady led the NFL, I think, in passing yards in 2002, so he was good as a passer then, but I think the first time, and I wonder your thoughts, KJ, that I really looked at Brady as a wall-to-wall, great, elite-level type quarterback was probably late 2003 and into 2004. And even in 04, they had Corey Dillon, who set the team right. rushing record. So, But even then, it took a few, whereas Bledsoe was in a different place. I think that, I mean, we could probably do a whole segment on that, whether, you know, how they would have done if Bledsoe had stayed, not gotten hurt, or if it had been another quarterback, because I, I think you know they wouldn't have won. I don't six. think you get Corey Dillon. I don't think yeah. you go and get Corey Dillon if you still have Drew Bledsoe. Maybe right? not. Be- right. And right. I, I don't like, think that happens. And they, I think, it would have been oil and water. And I think Brady and Belichick are just like they're so great in their own right that I think they each could have won a Super Bowl or two on their own. But a Super Bowl or two on your own is not six and going to nine, right? Like that's what makes it special is that they were together. I think I think that's a fascinating discussion and is another piece, of, and I know it's a hypothetical, but it's another piece of what we saw in the first couple episodes of this momentous decision to stick with Brady over Bledsoe. All right, we'll continue the conversation with the Dynasty here. KJ and Lions, WEEI, in for Gresham Fourier. But it is now time for... See the one about Lions? Can't lose to this head after. King of the gym. Uh, 
Uh, yes, my favorite episode of KJ and Lions is when we go to the Lions Den. Is it a mauling or are we petting it like a little kitten? So will, John, the rest of the Dynasty series on Apple TV roar or will it be underwhelming? Oh, it'll definitely roar. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. That was kind of a pussy willow question you put in there. You know that, right? Yeah, well, I was starting us off. I want to make it easy. Lions Den question number two. Will the Celtics roar out of the All-Star break or get complacent? They're going to roar, but with a lowercase r, because I think they're going to rest some guys. Well, you know, you got an interesting leg coming up, not right away out of the break, but once you get into the Cleveland, and then at Denver, then at Phoenix, and then at Portland, then at Utah, that's where I want to see where things are, especially Christoph Porzingis and his foot. That's what I'm really concerned about because I think as Kristoff Pozingas goes, so go the Celtics. All right, will the Red Sox roar in spring training and give some fans some hope? Uh, no, they're going to meow, and we're not going to have hope. John Henry just laughed at reporters a little while ago, so that tells you where we're at. Now, it is spring training where Bobby Dahlbeck tends to hit 380. So I think they roar in spring training, but the fans' hope comes back to, to earth once you, you get back from spring training. So I think spring training, they'll be pretty good. It, it, it'll throw some people. It'll be the conversation. It'll have Lou Maloney up in his chest like, hey, look, this is like, you know what? You're playing in Florida. These first games are back here. <laughs> so I'm with you. So Dynasty, I think it continues to roar. I'm with you on that. I think the Celtics uh, may get a little complacent, and I think the Red Sox will roar in spring training, but it won't happen to the regular season. The next hour of KJ Lines in for Gresham Fourier next year on WEEI 617-779-7937. Thanks so much for hanging out.